Celebrate Venus Fashion Week and discover new, fun, sexy fall styles while saving at Venus. For a limited time, only use the promo code PUMPKIN and get $20 off instantly when you spend $100 or more. Visit Venus.com and use the promo code PUMPKIN to save during Venus Fashion Week. Welcome to Courtney Beyond the Cake, stories that inspire, uplift, and fill your soul with joy, much like cake. Jennifer Stagg spent over a decade as a news anchor and reporter. She was twice awarded Best Reporter in Utah, has won three Edward R. Murrow Awards and two Emmys. Jen was living her dream in front of the camera, but after giving birth to her first daughter, she knew it was time for a change. She ended up leaving the world of broadcast for the world of design, and she was quickly recognized by Better Home and Gardens and named Blog of the Year within six months of starting. What was once her side hustle has since turned into a full-service design firm, a product line, and recognition in dozens of design magazines. In today's episode, we talked to Jen about navigating unexpected career changes, how her somewhat unconventional childhood impacted her creativity and love of design, and how she's shifted her storytelling from the newsroom to the home. Welcome, friends. I am so excited to have my friend, longtime friend, Jennifer Stagg with us today. Jen, welcome. Thanks for having me. I feel so honored. <laughs> well, you know, I, I got an opportunity to be on your podcast, and I was just like, we have to have Jen on this podcast because not only do we like go back, you know, all the way to college days, but you do have a story that I have learned more about in the recent years that I feel like is one that needs to be shared. And so I'm, a, I'm really thrilled to be able to do that today. Well, every time we have a chance to talk, it's, it's really like just gabbing with my girlfriend because we've been friends for so long. Um, and it's been fun, even though we went to college together and we knew a lot about each other. I do feel like in recent years, it's, we've been able to talk a lot more um, personally and more in depth and share more of our personal histories. And it's put a lot of things that I know about you in context. And I'm sure things that you knew about me in context as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's really fun because for a long time, we both graduated in broadcast journalism at Brigham Young University. And there wasn't quite the buzz of social media right when we graduated. So we kind of disappeared from each other's life for a little while. Mm -hmm. But then social media, Facebook, Instagram came about, you started your blog. And all of a sudden I was like, whoa, Jen is doing so much. I, I couldn't believe it. It was so fun. I mean, I could believe it, but it was just, it felt like all of a sudden. So walk us through what happened? What was life like for you when you left BYU and we parted ways onto, you know, our own paths? Well, it's so funny because I would say among the people that we graduated with, you and I were two of the most ambitious and driven as far as news goes, right? And now we've both like that has kind of come full circle for us. And now we're not working Mm -hmm. in news anymore. We both started these separate ventures. Um, When I graduated from BYU, I really just hit the ground running. Um, I got my first job outside of uh, college at a TV station in the Midwest. Um, My husband was applying to law schools at the time, and we knew it was going to be challenging. You know, the news industry has changed a lot since we graduated. I guess I'm dating us a little bit there, but... um, 
we knew it was going to be challenging for me to get a job on air and the same type of market where my husband could go to a really good law school because most really good law schools are in huge cities, right? Um, And so we literally got a map of the United States and all of the red pins were TV markets that I could feasibly start on air in. And the green pins were all of the top 20 law schools. Um, And so we just started applying to you know, law schools that were near TV markets. And coincidentally, (laughs) right after um, I graduated, I went to a big convention at the time. It was called RTNDA. I know the name has changed a little bit since then. It's now, I don't know, Radio Television News Directors Association is what it used to be. But it's this big convention nationwide where people from all over the world that work in the industry come to the same convention. And the first news director who looked at my tape happened to be a news director from Iowa, um, and offered me a job on the spot. And uh, my husband had just received a scholarship offer to the University of Iowa, which happened to be a top 20 law school. So we were like, I guess we're going to the University of Iowa. We had never even been there before. We didn't know anyone who lived in Iowa. Uh, and so moved to Iowa. And um, I guess right before we moved to Iowa, I did an internship in New York City at ABC News. And we moved to Iowa and I worked as an anchor and reporter at two different stations in the Midwest. In I was a one-man band. I got to <laughs> schlep my own camera gear and set it all up and I edited all my own oh, stuff. Yeah. And man, it was a character building experience. It really was. And I made some dear friends and it was so hard. Oh my gosh. Just <laughs> crazy hard. People uh, don't realize the the hours that reporters, I worked at a television station briefly and I was a writer and I didn't get to pick my shift. It was wherever they needed me, I would go. And so there were times that I was getting up at 3.30 in the morning because I needed to be writing the five o'clock newscast. You know, we're starting on that one. And so the hours are crazy. And when you're getting started, everyone feels like, hey, you're just lucky to be here. So- You've got to do everything and you can't complain, right? I mean, it doesn't matter how long you've been in TV. That's always the attitude that you're so Mm -hmm. lucky to be there and that you're totally replaceable. And, you know, as somebody that I've always kind of craved constructive criticism, um, I don't really take things personally. I try not to take things personally. I really want to improve and get better at pretty much everything I do. That is, you know, at first you don't realize the impact that that kind of your, your, you know, easily replaceable has on your mental health. But after being in that industry for 10 plus years, it really does start to to grade on you a bit. Um, you know, talking about you don't get to control your schedule or what you do or what story or anything. I remember in the Midwest, um, you know, there were slow news days in Iowa, like <laughs> slow news days, right? Yeah. Um, and one day the news desk sent me to cover a um, corn maze. I guess this farmer in the middle of nowhere had transformed his cornfield into, I don't know, it was like Superwoman or something like that. And they wanted me to go out and interview this guy. I drove like an hour and a half to find him using MapQuest directions because this was before, <laughs> you know, GPS It took me so long to find it. I finally got there. I knocked on the door and the guy, like, no, there was nothing around, right? I'm like, am I even in the right place? I knock on the door and this farmer comes to the door and he's missing teeth. And it, I mean, it was like out of a movie. And he looked at the press release and it was two years old. It had been sitting in the, (sighs) in the file for two years 
and I didn't realize no. it. And the news desk didn't realize it. And they sent me to this story that had happened two <laughs> years before. And the guy was like, honey, you're just, a, you're just two years too late. And I was like, you have what, got to what be What did you me. even do? I'm I, dying right now. I literally, I'm I just sat there. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. So I called the news desk. Zero apologies, zero, zero sympathy. They were like, go find another story. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> got to throw something together for the news that day. I mean, it was just crazy. It was crazy. Oh my gosh, that is just a story I will appreciate forever because been there, you know, that is a school of hard knocks, you know, oh, yeah. you just learned by getting thrown to the sharks and you certainly were, but you did not stay in the Midwest uh, very long. John did uh, law school there. And then what happened? Um, I, you know, we were trying to decide where we were going to go next. And, and uh, I had some interest from a TV station in Phoenix. And then what we really wanted to do was come back to Utah. We're both from here and we both grew up here. And, uh, and so I applied, John applied to a law firm here. I applied to a TV station. Um, and I got a job offer at channel two, uh, which is where your dad used to work here in Salt Lake. (laughs) Actually, he's worked at a few stations here. Um, (laughs) and I worked at channel two. That was my first job out of college. I was doing it in conjunction with consulting remotely, but that was the first station I worked at was channel two. So we have that too. Yeah. Yeah, so I worked at Channel 2 uh, for two years, and then uh, the recession hit, and um, the station was going through crazy rounds of layoffs, and I think I was a part of the very last layoff before they were purchased by a new company, Um, and I was kind of like, I was contract vulnerable, and I was sort of like the last woman in the door, and so anyway, I got laid off. And it was so hard. I mean, there's so much more to that story, but I'll just jump ahead a little bit for, I'm sure you don't really care about well, all this what stuff. Did you, I mean, that was, I, I am like I thinking about it and knowing how driven you were and you are, and that was your dream. Yeah. I mean, your dream was to be on TV, to be mm-hmm. an anchor, to report and do this. This was your passion. What did you do in that moment? What was your mindset and how did you get through that? Because you moved on to do other things. Yeah. Um, I'm, it was really devastating. It was really devastating. Um, I never, ever thought I would be in that position where I would be laid off. Um, the station had gone through a lot of layoffs, um, you know, TV stations across the country were cutting people left and right. And, uh, ironically, the news director at the time kept calling me in and saying, we're never going to let you go. Don't worry. You know, there are other people that are on the list way before you. You'll never be laid off. You're one of our hardest workers. You are the future of the station. I mean, they were telling me all of this. And ironically, (laughs) it was my birthday. And I know it was like, are you kidding me? So I went into work and two days before they had told me again, stop worrying. You're not just, you know, you're not going to be laid off. You're totally fine. Um, and I went into work and they called me in and they said, I'm so sorry. There are two more layoffs and you're one of two people that we had to cut to make ourselves more appealing for this new sale and this new purchase of this new media company. And, uh, I looked at the GM and I said, you guys just told me 
that I was safe. You just told me I wasn't going to be laid off. Like, what is going on? Why me? And and they said, well, if it makes you feel any better, you're not the only one. And I was like, no, that, that doesn't make no. me feel better at all, actually. That makes me feel worse because you're telling me all my friends are, are getting laid off too. No, that doesn't make me feel better. Um, you know, the, it was one of those moments, though, that I I could really, looking back, I can see that it was really God's hand in in guiding my life um, because within the span of a week, we were trying to buy a house and we'd already put money down on this house. I got laid off and John got transferred to a firm within his, his firm. It was another office in his firm in Minneapolis for six months. Um, and so had I stayed at Channel 2, I would have had to stay in Salt Lake by myself. So I went to Minneapolis with John for six months and I cried every day. It was so devastating. And, and looking back at, I was young and I, I didn't have a ton of real world experience and, and I, I definitely would have taken it more in stride now, but at the time it felt very devastating because no TV stations in the whole country were hiring, right? Like we were in the middle of a recession. It was devastating. And I didn't see how a path would get me anywhere else. And I remember every day I would just pray and cry and didn't know what to do. And and one day I was standing in the shower, cry, like doing the ugly cry and just praying and like, what am I supposed to learn here? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I heard a voice. It was so loud in my head that I, it literally startled me. And it said, be patient. It will come. Wow. And I froze and it, it sort of like knocked me out of crying. And I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, I'll be patient. <laughs> Okay. And uh, shortly after that, I had been communicating with some other friends that were in the media. And we have a mutual friend, Brooke Walker, who works at KSL. And we were friends in college as well. And I had called her saying, I don't know what to do here. If you hear of anything at KSL, will you let me know? And she called me shortly after that. And she said, "Um, we are putting together the telethon, the primary children's telethon. And you would just be producing packages for the telethon. You wouldn't be the honor talent, but it's something and it would get you in the door. And I had always heard if you wanted to be on air, not to take any job that was behind the scenes because it would pigeonhole you. And so mm. I I asked her, what would you do if you were me? I don't know what to do here. What would you do? And she said, I, I would take it. And so I did. I, I came back from Minneapolis. John stayed in Minneapolis. I came back. I started working at Channel 5 producing these packages. And before the telethon even aired, the news director happened to see a few of them and called me and offered me a job. So it was it was one of those moments where it was like, okay, this is clearly God, you know, in my life and guiding me to where I, I needed to be. And then I was at Channel 5 for five years. Yeah. Oh, wow. But when did you start writing? You started a blog. And this is when I remember, I knew you were reporting, but all of a sudden I came across your blog. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that Jen had this design background. And so was that simultaneous with the reporting and being at KSL or did that come later? Remind me the timeline there. 
Yeah. So design had always been something I had kind of done on the side. My husband and I renovated houses. We were kind of like weekend warriors, right? Like we both, Mm -hmm. he was an attorney. I worked in news as a reporter and anchor. And then this was sort of like our hobby. We didn't have a lot of other hobbies. (laughs) This is kind of like our hobby that we did together. We would like remodel houses. Um, And I started doing design for family and friends. In fact, when John was in law school, I moonlighted and worked for an interior designer designing vignettes to, to put him through law school. So I worked two jobs. Um, but then news has a way of kind of being all consuming and I, I'm an all or nothing kind of person. And so I, I just put Mm -hmm. all of my energy and efforts and creativity into news, um, until I had Ruby. So when I got pregnant with my first daughter, I was working at channel five and I, um, you know, I was the 10 PM lead reporter. I was working an awful schedule and, uh, I, I kept trying to carve out a different niche for myself. Like I didn't, I knew working on the 10 o'clock news was not going to be a good fit once I had a baby. So I had Ruby and, um, you know, it just, it was sort of like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Every time I would think, okay, I've, I've made some progress. I'm carving out this niche for myself. They'd pull me back and say, no, we really just need you on the 10 p.m. news. And then I'd try and say, well, what if I did a morning shift or what if I worked weekends or what if I did this? And every time they'd just say, no, like you're, we really need you on the 10 o'clock news. Like we're not going to move you anywhere else. That's really where we need you. Um, and I felt so frustrated over that. And, and um, John very wisely one night said, okay, let's just, set news aside for just a second. I know that you've dedicated so much to it and you have these big goals, but let's just pause, push the pause button. If you could be doing anything else, what would you be doing? And without even hesitating, I said, I'd be doing design. I'd be finding a way to share my love of design and combine that with my journalism background and and put it all together in my TV background and, and see what I could do. And he said, you should start a design blog. And I was like, okay, I don't know anything about <laughs> blogging. Okay. And he's like, no, really, you should start a design blog and just see what happens. And so I launched a design blog. At the time, it was called With Heart um, mm-hmm. and started a YouTube channel that went along with it. And within six months, it had been awarded Blog of the Year from Better Homes and Gardens and was also named one of the top uh, 15 design blogs from Domino Magazine. And it set me on this trajectory that I hadn't ever even considered. It wasn't even on my radar. Um, and so anyway, it one thing led to another thing led to another thing. And now I it turned into what I have now. Now I own a design firm with employees and I have a textile company and still do YouTube and have a podcast and all the things. How do you see the things that you learned in broadcast and at the stations and in college, I mean, how have they helped you with your design firm? This is a totally different field, but I feel like there's some crossover. Wouldn't you say? There's a ton of crossover. You know, I, I'm a storyteller at heart and a lot of people in news sort of say that trivially, trivially, like, oh, I'm a storyteller. I have always, that has always been a huge part of my life. I've always been a creative writer. Um, even as a child, I've always, and I've always been like rearranging my doll furniture and, and trying to make things beautiful. And I'm still doing storytelling. My medium is different. Um, but I still, 
really at the heart of what I do is getting to know people really intimately and finding where to share their story, whether that's in news or whether that's through design. It's the same for me. So yeah, there's absolutely a lot of crossover. Also, I think my ability to think on my feet quickly, that comes from news, um, sharing things on camera in a in a way that's easy for people to understand, that comes from news for sure. So yeah, yeah I think there's a lot of crossover. Yeah. And if you guys have not followed Jen's blog or her Instagram, first of all, you need to, okay? We need to get them. Tell the, tell everyone again what your two Instagram accounts are because you have one for the business and you have one for your personal, which also crosses over to business. Yeah. So our company is called Stag Design. Uh, and so our Instagram handle is Stag Design and that's Stag with two Gs, like the chili, mm-hmm. not the deer. <laughs> that's what I always <laughs> tell people. Uh, and then my name is just Jennifer Stag. And that's my other Instagram handle is just Jennifer Stag. So really easy to find. But what I think you will love about Jen's page is how she communicates and shares with you the feeling of changing a house into a home. And I think it's a really powerful message that you share with your followers is this idea of turning any house, wherever you are, no matter your circumstance, into a home. What does that mean to you, a home? Well, first, that's really kind of you to say. Um, You know, I think... A home is is somewhere where you feel you're most inspired, where you feel you're most at peace, where, you know, there's so much in the world that we can't control. And I think we're all realizing that even more in this moment of pandemic and isolation. And I have been preaching for years that home is truly the most important place in the world. You can control what comes in your door. You can control what goes out. You control the mood. You control the feeling. And I think there has not been enough importance placed on home and and how crucial it is to your happiness, to your mental health, to your family's health and well-being. Um, and, you know, I... I didn't really grow up in a home like that. And so when John and I got married, it was a very conscious decision. Like this is a sacred place. Our home is a sacred space and and we want it to have a certain feeling and we want people to feel that when they walk through the door. And they do because I have been to your house and you feel the warmth and the love. You have these three amazing daughters and John is just so genuine and kind and it feels like a home. And being with you feels like you're with family. And you mentioned that you didn't grow up with that feeling. What was your childhood like? What was your home like growing up? Yeah. Um, First, that's such a huge compliment. So thank you so much. That's exactly what I want people to feel when they're with me or when they're in my home. Um, Yeah, my my childhood was pretty tumultuous. Um, My mother is chronically ill. Um, She's been sick my whole life. Uh, She was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was three. She has a lot of underlying um, health conditions and mental health problems. And uh, my dad, you know, bless his heart, was not a homemaker. (laughs) He was a great (laughs) provider, um, but does not have a design bone in his body, does not know how to cook, doesn't, you know. And so um, my childhood at times was kind of scary and very uncertain. And he was a a steady force in my life. And, And instead of you know, making me feel fearful, he made me feel empowered. I would have ideas like, 
dad, I want to sponge paint my room. And he'd be like, cool, let's go to the paint store and you tell me what to do. And he'd let me take the lead on projects. Dad, I want to build a playhouse. Okay, great. Like, let's build a playhouse. And so I'd sketch it out on paper and I I drew a little white playhouse with a heart on the door. And sure enough, like he built me a little playhouse and let me paint the heart on the door red. And, um, and so those projects were really fond memories of things that we did together. Um, and it's kind of, you know, I've married a man who also loves a good project and who will jump on board with any of my crazy ideas. Like, Hey, I have this idea for a DIY project. And John's like, well, at first he's usually like grumble, grumble, grumble. And then he's usually like on board with it and excited. And it's something that we do together. And some of my favorite memories of us growing up as a couple together is us doing projects together, of us painting kitchen cabinets, of us launching into a big project together, and then the satisfaction that we feel afterward. Oh, that's so fun. And not something that I can even relate to, but I wish I could because Ryan and I, I don't have a DIY bone in our body and it's okay because it just makes me appreciate a Jen and a John who do, you know, the two of you, what you guys can do. And I'm just amazed by it. And I love that you had that relationship with your father and that he would say yes to your dreams, to your ideas. I think that's so important for us as parents and for those of us who are examples and influencers to young children, the youth, to empower them to say, yeah, you can do that. Let's let's figure out how you can um, and, and, and show you that you can achieve that and be creative and try different things. Do you do that with your girls? Do you feel, do you feel like your girls have that same mindset that you do that are just like, okay, let's do this. And what if we tried that? Yeah, I try to instill that. And it, it really builds a lot of confidence. You know, it's similar to what you do with baking with your kids. I've seen you in the kitchen with your kids yeah. doing baking challenges and, and you know, they'll have crazy ideas for things. I think if you're able to tell your children, you know what, your ideas are good ones. Let's try yeah. it out and see what happens. That's mm-hmm. gives you confidence as a child. You know, I, I didn't question who I was or, or my decision-making skills, because I felt like my decisions were good ones, right? That my Mm -hmm. ideas were, were worth exploring. Um, Mm -hmm. and that has carried through into adulthood for me. I have crazy ideas like, Hey, let's start a textile company. Like what? I've never done a textile (laughs) company before. Uh, but failing wasn't even an option, right? The Mm -hmm. only path forward is, is success for for me, for you, I know we kind of share that, like we're risk takers and, um, you know, I've taken risks in my career. Leaving news felt like jumping off a cliff into a deep abyss. It, it was terrifying. And I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm making a huge mistake. Everybody was telling me you're making a huge mistake. Everyone was yeah, telling me. Yeah, because we need to remind people, and I said this in the intro, but you were an award-winning journalist. Emmy Award winning, Edward R. Murrow Award winner, like big things. That's a big risk to leave that behind. Yeah, that's really nice of you. Um, it was it, it was really hard to leave behind. It really was because I felt like I was leaving something on the table um, that I hadn't yet accomplished. I felt like I was leaving goals that I had 
that I hadn't yet accomplished. I know we're jumping around a little bit and that's my fault. Sorry. I keep leading you. <laughs> I keep leading you in different directions. Uh, but I did have the opportunity. I think timing is really important too. Um, mm-hmm. When I left news and went to design, I did have some regret because I had huge goals that I really wanted to accomplish that I hadn't yet had the chance to accomplish yet. And I was leaving before I could achieve those. But fast forward, you know, three, four years. Well, it was more than that. I guess I was pregnant with my third daughter. Um And I got a call from another TV station asking me to come back and anchor part-time. And that was the last box I wanted to check was just sole anchor. Um, And it was just part-time. They were willing to work around my schedule. They let me keep my design business. And I did it for two years and it was such a great experience. And then I was done. And then I checked the box and I was ready to walk away. And now I have no regrets. So I would... I know that when you're taking big risks and you feel regret or remorse, Mm -hmm. I, I think timing is, is something that you always need to consider. Right. And that's something I'm still learning. I have huge goals that I want to accomplish still that it's are not working. (laughs) Right. And I'm doing everything I can to make them happen. And as a control freak, I'm like, why is this not happening? But I, I'm trying to remind myself constantly that it's not my timing. It's God's timing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we're all in the midst of this. I mean, this episode will record, um, I mean, we're recording in in April and this will air in May or early June. I mean, but we're all just in that moment of pause and wondering what the next step is, what the next timetable is, and it's changing for all of us. And it's a scary feeling. How do you work through that? How You've had all these different timetables. You and I were very, very similar in where we have a plan for ourselves and where we see ourselves in a week, in a two years and mm-hmm. five years. And when that doesn't go our way, um, we have to kind of readjust our, our mindset and it's hard. It's not easy for our personalities to do that. How are you working through this time of uncertainty and, and not knowing exact timetables for what you want to accomplish? Um, you know, (laughs) letting go of control and letting things happen the way that they're supposed to happen is perhaps the hardest lesson that I've had to learn again and again and again. And I do feel like I keep getting placed in positions where I have to keep relearning that. Um, I don't know that I do it gracefully all the time. Sometimes it's kicking and screaming. Uh, But what I try to remind myself of constantly is that if I'm doing the very best I can, if I'm putting my best foot forward, if I am going forward fearlessly and and trying to make things happen the way that they're supposed to happen and they're still not happening, it's not my path. And that is a hard thing. That is so hard and it's still painful. And I've had experiences recently where I've gotten so close to something that I've been working years for. And I felt like this is the moment, this is the time. And then it falls apart at the last minute. And you just have to have faith that, you know, I constantly have a prayer in my heart, like, Hey, God, I am doing the best that I can. And I want these things to happen. All I want to do at the end of the day is whatever God wants me to do. 
I want to do it the best way I can. I want to share whatever message I'm supposed to share in the best way I can. And if that's not my platform, that's not my platform. If that's not my path, that's not my path. And I can't say I'm very good at it yet, but it's something I certainly keep experiencing probably because I need to learn it again. Isn't that how this crazy life works is that those same lessons keep hitting us, you know, just, Hey, knock into the door. You still need to learn patience. You still need to learn how to be courageous and, and, you know, work with my timing and life, you know, (laughs) it's hard. Oh my gosh. It's hard. Oh, I, you and I were in New York together not too long ago um, for an event and we got to talking one night and this is when I really learned about um, your childhood and your family growing up. And I think this is what, I mean, it just made a, a big connection for me to you in learning about your parents and your childhood because I was, I guess I was a little bit surprised because you are such a hands-on mom, you're a working mom, but you just juggle it so well. You take on the balance. You are ambitious. You've got these girls that are just like going to be just like you. You have built like three powerhouse girls and you have great relationships with them. And so when I heard about your mom and your relationship with her, I was a little bit shocked, you know, and it was incredible to hear about your relationship with your dad. But I've just always wondered and thought about, well, how did your relationship or lack thereof with your mother affect you in your youth? And as you got married and as you became a mother and you're starting to navigate this? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was something I was kind of insecure about as a child. Um, you know, I'm adopted and, uh, there were moments in my childhood where I sort of felt like, why why did this happen to me? Why was I placed in this home with this mother with these debilitating issues? And and I've never really had like a mother-child relationship. It's kind of always been the opposite, right? Like I've been the parent and she's been the child. Um, in the same breath, I had a father that was exceptional um, and still is exceptional. And so I think what I try and tell myself is... is I never want to think of myself as a victim, right? Like that victim mentality, I think is very damaging uh, to personal growth. And so what I've always tried to tell myself is come at it from a place of empowerment, right? Like I am who I am. I was not put in my situation to form me. I am who I am. I make my own decisions. I choose the person that I am. I choose my own choices. And that's what I try and teach my girls too is, is mm-hmm. no, 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 we're not, you're not a victim here. You get to choose how you respond to things. Um, and as a child, I was definitely insecure about it. Um, you know, I remember once in high school, uh, in high school, Um, my mom came to an assembly and, you know, she would, she was kind of embarrassing at times. She would blurt things out that were really embarrassing or, or, you know, her, her wheelchair was really loud and, and 
you know, it sounds bad saying like I was embarrassed about those things, but anything in high school that makes you different makes you insecure, right? Yeah. And so I remember my mom coming to an assembly. I was on the dance team and coming to an assembly to watch me dance. And my dad had lifted her onto the bleachers and then parked her wheelchair underneath. And I found out as an adult, you guys, before one of my high school reunions, that a group of boys grabbed her wheelchair and were making fun of her underneath the bleachers. This is no. a true, yes, no. this is a true story. I found this out at, right before my 20-year high school reunion. Can you believe that? Or I guess my 10-year my ten year high school reunion, I found it out. So I, it was like, what in the world? Like all these years later, all those insecurities rushed back. And it's sort of like, it's one of those things where looking back, do I wish maybe I wouldn't have been as nervous to bring her in public or bring people over to my house? Sure. Um, but, you know, we're all kind of doing the best we can and we're on our path, whatever path we're going to be on so that we can learn from it and grow and become better people. And I'm just always, you know, I will say I'm kind of rambling a little bit. I apologize. But I will say another thing that that my circumstances have taught me is a, is a great sense of empathy. Um, and that has helped me as a journalist, that's helped me as a designer, and that has certainly helped me as a mother. And what I'm always trying to teach my girls whenever we are out in public or whenever there's somebody in a class that's a little bit different, I'm always trying to teach them, you don't know what's happening behind the scenes. You don't know what kind of day that person had. You don't know what their situation is at home it's always best to go forth with a place uh, from a place of love and a place of kindness and a place of understanding. Absolutely. Absolutely. As you were growing up, what did you envision your home to feel like and to be like once you were married and, and starting a family of your own? What were the visions back then? Yeah, I had a couple friends um, growing up whose, whose mothers were really talented homemakers. Um, and, uh, you know, I would walk in their home and it just felt different than mine. Um, and I remember my very first serious boyfriend in college, uh, his mother was exceptional. She was an artist. She was an amazing cook. Uh, she owned a business. I mean, she was just like a really amazing woman. And, um, I remember going to his house and feeling that difference, right? Like going to a Christmas dinner and all like her beautiful Port Marion dishes and, and the beautiful prime rib that she had made. And it just felt warm the minute you entered the, the door. And I remember saying, I want this, this feeling of peace and warmth and togetherness and welcoming. That is what I want in my home. And so that's what I constantly strive for in all of my clients' homes, in my home is it's almost like the temperature goes up when you walk in the door. Yeah. Yeah. You've been in a lot of homes all over the state, all over the country. What would you say are truly the key attributes of making a house a home? And I'm not talking design elements, but you talk about that feel. What are those attributes, if you had to sum them up and maybe just a few, that make a house a home? I think, um, you know, I, I feel like 
good design, personal design is kind of like an inside joke that you and your family are in on. Maybe not everyone understands why that framed menu on the wall is significant to you, but it doesn't really matter because it's your home. I feel like family photos, family heirlooms, weird, quirky things, those belong in your home. I don't love a home where every single thing is brand new out of a catalog um, because people don't live in catalogs, right? So I would say something old and quirky (laughs) that reflects you and your personality. Um, I think family photos are a must, right? And I think a, a continuity of colors and themes throughout a home makes a huge difference. You want every room in a home to feel like the same family lives there. So I always try and carry colors or subtly or themes from one room to another. And it kind of gives it that feng shui. Um, and the last thing I would say is, you know, most people get about 60 or 70% there with their home and they never go all the way and they wonder why their home feels disjointed and not complete. Um, And so a big part of like my design philosophy and my homemaking philosophy is that you have to go 100%. All the art, all the fixtures, all the wall coverings, everything. You're going through that in your home. Yes. I was going to say, this is like one of the biggest lessons you taught me when we were going through my house um, last year was finish a room 100%. And we've been in this house for two years and I am just... I think almost finished my entire downstairs, like my office where I am now and recording and the room across the hall are kind of the last ones, but I haven't even touched like the upstairs rooms because I have had the gen mentality, finish each room a hundred percent. And I've been so happy with that. And it does, it kind of makes it just feel like it's complete, it's warm, it's inviting. And I, and I feel happy here. Yeah, those are the places you're going to want to gravitate to, right? And yeah. I, I think I told you the very first spaces that you should finish are your kitchen and your dining room <laughs> because yes. that's where you spend the most time, right? I spend the most time. Well, and I remember when you interviewed me, the question that you had asked was, what was my favorite room in the home? And obviously, I mean, it should be no surprise. The kitchen is my favorite room. I'm curious to know what's your favorite room and why? Oh, that's a hard one. I mean, the one I just finished most recently is probably my favorite. Um, I Which always, was that? Oh, gall. I just finished Vivi's room. Actually, while we've been in isolation, I finally put, put the finishing touches on her pillows in her room. We also just recently gave our master bedroom a big makeover. And um, that has been a really fun one because it sort of, I mean, it was still pretty before, but now it feels really finished. Um, But I always say to people, let's figure out what the heart of your home is. For us, I would say it's probably our, we have a kitchen, great room, dining area that opens up onto our patio. That's probably our most lived in, loved in, most memories made um, space in our home. Um, Just because it's, beautiful. It's functional. It's where we entertain. Um, but I always say to people, let's figure out what the heart of your home is first and then work out from there and finish that space first. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And it's true because that's what we've done here and you helped me with. And it's like, now it's just overflowing into the rest of my house. And it just, it feels like home and it feels 
warm and it feels inviting. It's all the little finishing touches that you help with. Um, Before we wrap up, what are you working on right now? What are some big things that we should just tell everyone? I know you've got some cool things going on. Yeah, we just launched something that's pretty cool called SD Package Design. It's a totally affordable um, design package that you can do yourself. We have a library of them that we're adding to all the time. If full service design isn't really in your budget, this is something that you can totally do. You just buy a package of a room that you like. um, And then it gives you all of the links, all of the instructions, all the step-by-steps, all of the millwork mock-ups, tile layouts, everything that you would need, paint selections, everything so that you can do it yourself. I feel like that's really innovative and and, um, good for this time. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I feel like it is kind of, um, it's pricey to to hire a designer. Um, totally, you know, worth it if you're someone like me that just someone needs to have the vision for you. But I love this because it's like the next best thing, you yeah. know, and empowers people to go in and create, but they've they've got the ideas and all the tools at their hands. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, I, and we're always trying to find ways to make good design, affordable and approachable for everybody. Um, and that's hard as an, as a full service design firm, but we're, we're constantly trying to make that happen. We also just released a bunch of new products on Stag Design Shop, like new pillows, new accessories, new artwork, and we have some more planned. So that's what's happening I, around here. I can't wait to see what the future holds because I know what it is big. I know it's impactful. You're doing great things. I just love your intention of helping everyone around you really feel at home in their own space and feel that love and warmth. It's a great, great intention. You're the best. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. <laughs> Thank I wish you we were for chatting in person. Me. I wish we were <laughs> I in know, person right and now. not in isolation. We're on a Zoom conference so I can see Jen. We have our headphones on, but it's different. Wish you were here. You're just absolutely the best. Love you to death. Thank you so much for being here today. Love you. Thanks for having me. Thanks friends for tuning in today. For show notes and other episodes of Courtney Beyond the Cake, head to cakebycourtney.com forward slash podcast. And for all things cake, remember you can find me over on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Cake by Courtney. And for all my recipes, products, information about my online classes, just head to cakebycourtney.com. New season, new wardrobe, and we're kicking off fall in style with Macy's VIP sale. Use your coupon or Macy's card and take an extra 30% off fall's biggest trends. Apple picking on the agenda, hello plaid and tall boots, and hey, maybe this is the season you try culottes. And our best brands like Ink, Kelvin Klein, and Tommy Hilfiger, yep, they're included too. Plus, get your glam on with 15% off the beauty brands you love. And Star Rewards members earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. Going on now at Macy's. This is Derek's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. After the third time jump-starting my car, I finally realized my battery was dying. So I stopped by O'Reilly to have it checked. They tested it right there in the parking lot. It was bad, real bad. But they helped me find the right battery for my car and even installed it for free. Now my car starts like new. Oh, oh. 